it's a real blessing to be able to share the word with you. If you remember last time we were together on Sunday, uh, we were looking at um, the last of the Ten Commandments. And the title of the message was, Get Your Own Story. And we were looking at coveting and how God told his people, you shall not covet. And then he lists a bunch of things and then ends it with saying, you shouldn't covet anything that's your neighbor's. And we, I was sharing, you know, there's a, a shallow meaning on these commandments, but also a deeper meaning. So the shallow meaning is, yeah, leave your neighbor's ox alone, which is fairly easy to do at this time and place. But the deepest meaning is... Um, Accept the life that God has called you to live. Don't reject the life God has called you to live. Instead, accept it and ask God to fill it full of glory. Fill it full of stories of the glory of God in in the midst of the life he's called you to live. Without always being looking at what God's doing in other people's life. What's he doing in your life? Is it better than mine? What's he doing in your life? Is it better than mine? Just reject that stuff. Look at the Lord. Follow Jesus. Say thank you and ask that God would fill your story full of awesome things that God is doing. Does anybody remember that? Did anybody stumble and fall this week on the coveted thing? I totally did. It was terrible. I was just talking with Jackie this morning. I was saying, I think I fell into coveting this morning, and it totally robbed my, or this week, and it totally robbed me. So um, the, God is really gracious. He, he wants me to, know, to learn usually what I'm teaching, and if I haven't learned it by the time I teach the message, he usually makes sure I learn it after I've taught the message. And so this is just the life that I've learned to walk with God over the last seven years of doing this. And uh, he's a great dad, and I'm really grateful for him. This morning, I want to talk to you about the very, very best thing that could ever, 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 ever happen to you in your life. So it's a big deal. I want to talk to you this morning about the very best thing that could ever, 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 ever happen to you in this life. And that thing is loving, loving God and being in a love relationship with God. It's an appropriate time to talk about love because um, we're in a season of love being on display. So what's happening in like three or four days? See, <laughs> pound it. There's a guy who's going to be buying sorry gifts soon. <laughs> Valentine's Day is coming up. Um, so there's your fair warning. And, uh, you know, Valentine's Day is great. It keeps... It keeps the flower business going. It keeps the, the uh, economy of Amsterdam moving because of all their <laughs> tulips just getting shipped all over the world or whatever it is. Wherever they grow roses nowadays, I'm not even sure. Um, so, so it's a wonderful day, and uh, it's a great day for everybody being disappointed and learning how to love each other through that disappointment. But... but Probably on a bigger scale, and that's all I'm going to say about Valentine's Day. Um, On a bigger scale, can you think of something, some other huge world event where love is being put on display? Thank you. The Olympics. Here are a bunch of people who are absolutely madly in love with something. It's their sport. Because if you don't really love the luge, 
or the skeleton or the bobsled or whatever snowboarding event you're competing in, you'll never make it to the Olympics. With the amount of uh, self-sacrifice and dedication and um, pain and competition to get to that place, if you don't absolutely love your sport, you'll never end up in the Olympics. So here are a bunch of people who are in love. And when you're watching your Olympic competitions, if you can find a way to do that without owning cable nowadays, it's actually really difficult. You know, a lot of people snip the cable cord and then the Olympics come around. You're like, where do I watch this? And it's like, well, you can go to Smitty's. Um, But when you're watching this, I want you to think, here are a bunch of people who are in love, in love with their sport. And look, look at them go. And I told you that I've been really enjoying connecting with God through the Ten Commandments. And so this morning, I'm going to read to you the first of the Ten Commandments. And we're going to talk about the very, 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 very best thing that can, has, or will ever happen to you in this life. This time I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 5. They're almost exactly the same from Exodus chapter 20 when God first delivers the Ten Commandments and Deuteronomy chapter 5 where Moses reminds the people of the Ten Commandments and he says this, starting in verse 6. This is God talking. God says to his people, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you for this time to gather around your word. This isn't part of normal culture. People usually don't gather together in the flesh to hear a speaker. We might download TED Talks or something like that, but God, this is a church thing, and I'm really grateful for it. It's really unique, and it is part of how you want to spread your word and to grow people in your character and to stir up our love for you. And so, God, I just humble myself before you. I I really can't do what I'm hoping to do this morning, even in a small way. And so, Holy Spirit, I call on the name of Jesus for you to do a profound, miraculous resurrection power work amongst your people this morning, and that you would do it for the glory of God, and that we would go away really impacted and changed. In Jesus' name, amen. You shall have no other gods before me. Um, I really do think that what I'm about to share with you is the most important thing that could ever happen to you. And so just as a friend that sometimes needs to make things really serious, please listen. Okay, if if we go away from this and forget it, it will not be for our good. It, It will be quite tragic, actually, if there's no dedicated response to this. When you're going through the Ten Commandments, most of them are stated negatively. You may have noticed that. You shall not do this. You shall not do that. You shall not do this. You shall not do that. Um, And any time there's a negative commandment, you can actually switch it around and find a positive commandment somewhere in Scripture for it as well. And and so I've done that. And uh, when God says to us, I've rescued you for myself, I've saved you from Egypt, I brought you out of the house of slavery, now you shall have no other gods besides me. The flip side of that negative commandment is a positive commandment that goes a little bit like this, which is in the next chapter of Deuteronomy, where Moses says to the people, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
that's the flip side of you shall have no other gods is you shall really, really, really love the Lord who is the true God. And this is the greatest commandment in all of Scripture. And we know this because of Jesus. So he says this, I think, in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I'm going to read from you Mark. This is Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. And the Gospel says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing. This is uh, Jesus and the Pharisees, I believe. With one another, and seeing that he answered them well, that's Jesus, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus essentially just quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then he brings as well and adds to it the second greatest commandment, which is from the book of Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Pastoral pause here. Don't let anybody trash the book of Leviticus in your heart or in your mind. Okay, It's not easy to understand, but if Jesus says the second greatest commandment is in the book of Leviticus, we should actually think highly of the book of Leviticus. End parentheses. That one's worth the price of admission, and there you go. It's a bonus point. Jesus says that this is the greatest commandment ever, that we would love God with everything we've got. And so there's two ways we can kind of hear this, okay? And I'm going to talk about these two ways, and I'm going to uh, invite us to see it one of these two ways. We could hear Jesus say this and say, ah, crumbs. This is the greatest commandment, that i got to love God with everything I've got. Shoot. Dern. Crumbs. Or we can hear Jesus looking through all of human life and as the Son of God looking through all of human history and as the maker of human beings knowing how we work and what's best for us and as the maker of the human heart knowing what is actually best for the human heart to do and have and we could hear the Master saying the very, 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 very best thing that could ever happen to you would be if you really, really, really had the best love relationship with God ever. And that's why God calls us to do it. That's why it's the greatest commandment. Not because it's the worst thing that could ever happen to you, but because it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. And this kind of reflects on who we think God is. Is God the kind of God who goes, how can I make the world miserable today? And everybody's out there having fun. They're watching the Olympics. They're eating too many chicken wings. How can I throw a monkey wrench in this? You know, I really want to, I really want to hear some, I want to see some more tears because I like salty water. And so I made this ocean full of salt water, but that's not quite enough salt water for me so i made it so their eyes can you know kind of excrete salt water and so if i could just make them miserable i might see more some more salt water and that would be wonderful because i love salt water more than anything is that what god is like or is god the kind of god who actually is awesome and actually did make us for our own good and actually wants good for us what do you think god is like do you think god is actually good and actually wants good for us thank you 
So then it would make sense that the greatest commandment is actually what's best for us. The best thing that could ever happen to us is that we would totally love God and be in this awesome love relationship with him. Amen? Let's go a little bit deeper. What does that mean God wants with us? Our money, right? It always comes back to money, right? I love you for your money. You know, that's, is that what God wants for us? Is the point of living just tithing or something like that? No. In this command, you shall have no other gods before me, negatively stated. And in the command, you shall love me with all your heart. We, we find out that the very depth of God's desire for a human life is that he would get to love us and we would love him back. Which is totally amazing. What does God want to have with you? An amazing love relationship. That's, that's what God's like. That's what Jesus is like. That's what the Spirit is like. That is what the Father is like. When Jesus says the greatest commandment ever is you shall love the Lord your God, what he's assuming is that the Lord your God already loves you. And if there's a breakdown in the relationship, it's not the Father. Amen? Because Jesus was sent to die for our sins on the cross and to come back from the dead to give us resurrection life and to send the Holy Spirit so that there's power to change anything and everything. The problem is not the Father. But what do we learn when the Father says to us, the biggest thing I want out of you is for you to love me back. We learn that the greatest thing God wants is to be in a profound love relationship with us. And that the best thing that can ever happen to us is for us to say yes to that. To say yes to an awesome, enjoyable, fruitful, wonderful love relationship with God. Amen? Now, I want to ask, is, is this a really serious thing? Because we don't always talk about loving God back, okay? So we say as Christians, we've come to believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. We have faith in Jesus, and we're saved, and now we get to go to heaven. That's often how we talk about the Christian life. And then you come to church because you want to improve your life, and you kind of want to be happy. And But being a Christian is you believe in Jesus, you get forgiven, you get saved, and then you're going to go to heaven when you die. And we don't always talk about just having a call to and existing for a love relationship with God that everything springs out of. Well, let me just read to you two passages where uh, I'm actually shocked at how important being in love with God is shown to be. I might actually add a third here. In the book of Revelations, you may remember at the very beginning, um, Jesus tells John to write these letters to these churches. These are actual churches that existed in human history, and the Apostle John, as a prophet, is writing these letters from Jesus to them. And Jesus begins by talking to the church of Ephesus, and Ephesus is doing really great in a lot of ways. They've had these false teaching attacks, they've had false teachers in the church, and they've dealt with them. They've rejected it, they've stayed true to the gospel, and they're, they, they've And so Jesus actually praises them for surviving this and for going through this well and rejecting their false teachings. But he says this, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So Jesus is talking to this church and he's saying, You guys are doing really well. Okay, You, you are... 
surviving and thriving through your challenge, but in the midst of your challenge, you've stopped being in love with me. And there's some debate about whether this is with you're loving the people around you. I kind of don't think so. I kind of think that Jesus is he's having an eye-to-eye with people, and he's saying, you've forgotten to be in love with me. And so he says, if you don't repent of this, I'm going to take your lampstand away, which the lampstand is the church. If you guys don't repent of not just loving me anymore, your church is done. Wow. Does anybody else want to say wow to that? Okay, this is a church that actually has kind of listed all the heresies that are running around in the first century, defeated all of them in debate, and all of them are, are true. They've, they've, they're surviving. They're not a bunch of liars. They, they haven't fallen into the sexual immorality sin that many of the other churches have. So they're pure and they're true, but they don't have love for Jesus anymore. And Jesus says, you need to repent or your church is gone. I will take it away. Wow. So he actually cares if we, we love him. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, um, that letter that is so full of talk about love, and that's the one that's got 1 Corinthians 13, that Paul describes godly love. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. You know that famous wedding passage where, where people read this passage together and then spend the next seven years totally breaking it against each other, and then, then they start to learn. I always say that the first ten years of marriage are the worst. Um, it gets really good after that. But really, it's about finding Jesus in your marriage. But if you get married and then you start thinking, this is terrible, that's, I think, kind of normal because you're a big sinner. And so is the person you married. And uh, you start to learn that a lot after the first few years. You, you kind of don't know how broken and sinful you are until you live with somebody every day who isn't your mom. Because <laughs> they overlook a lot just because they're used to it. They're like, I, I cleaned your diapers, so this is not that much worse than that, whatever you're doing now. And, I'm totally on a rabbit trail now, but um, the Apostle Paul, who is full of love for this church and writes about love, he's ending his letter and he says, I, Paul, write these things with my own hand, which is kind of like writing his signature. Then he says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And there's this little line in there. It's kind of just like the so long in a letter, and he's just kind of like saying bye. You can imagine him kind of walking off and saying goodbye to everybody and just, bye, it's good to talk to you, everybody. If someone has no love for the Lord, he's cursed. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. It's this weird drop-in line. And you don't often hear apostles calling down curses on people. Uh, The only other time I can remember it off the top of my head, you might find a third one is at the beginning of Galatians where there's these people preaching a false gospel to the church saying, you know, you can't, it's not just Jesus that saves you. You need to also follow these mosaic law things. You need to get circumcised. You need to do this and that. And Paul says, you know, he calls down a curse on them. And then we have this other instance where Paul's finishing this letter and saying, if someone doesn't love Jesus, and he's talking to Christians, but if someone doesn't love Jesus, may he be accursed. That's a big deal. You know what I mean? I just can't walk past that. Like, what? Not if they don't believe, not if they're doing bad sins. If you don't love Jesus, you're cursed. What? What? 
So we can talk about all that, and we can try to get a theology of it, but all I'm sharing that with you is, um, I'm just sharing these verses because I want us to realize how important our personal love for Christ is to God. To be in love with God, to be in love with Christ, to be in love with the Holy Spirit is the very best thing that will ever happen to you while you breathe on this earth. Is the greatest gift that a sinner can have to be given a new heart that loves Jesus and have a love relationship with Christ is the best thing. Do you believe me yet? It is the be- In God's opinion, it's the best thing that you can ever have is to receive the love of God and to be in love with him back. It's the best thing. And where it's missing, Jesus says, I will, I will put an end to your church if it's missing. And you are cursed if it's missing. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I don't think he just means if you have a bad day. You know, you've got a flu and you just kind of snotted all day long and you forgot to be in love and, or whatever that is. And then it's like, boom, hammer down. He's like, this, is this your lifestyle that you're faking it? You're, you're going through the motions, but you don't actually love Christ. Big deal. And I'm just sharing these things not to condemn anybody or to uh, pull out the pastoral mallet and whack anybody. I'm, I'm, I just want you to agree with God. This is huge, what my heart is doing towards Jesus or not doing. There's actually nothing more important than what's going on in my heart towards God. Amen? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. You knew it was coming, right? Which is a little bit of like a commentary on our culture that that the philosopher is asking what is love. We all know is the the, the most like thin and shallow song ever. What is love? It's like... Oh, North America, oh, oh, please. Would the hook just come and just drag us off stage? I want to, I want to just suggest, and I, you know, I'm not a philosopher or anybody uh, super smart, but I want to suggest that love is, brings out the best in us. Love is that thing that captures us and brings out our best. So I'll start really shallowly with bacon. Okay, because bacon is the universal love language. Um, except in Bulgaria, where what they call bacon is actually like just fried ham, like a like a pork loin. Just I know that I almost got back on the airplane when I saw that. It's like, nope, sorry, you're gonna call that bacon. It's like a crime against humanity. Um, it's that thing that brings out the best in you. Okay, so you see it and you're excited. You see it and you don't have it, but you kind of want it. You have a little bit of it, but you want more of it. It draws out the best in you. Okay, so let's go to chocolate espresso cheesecake, okay? You go to a, a place that serves super awesome desserts, and you're like, the apple pie looks really good, and that pie looks really good. There's a cherry pie. Oh, look at that key lime, which is also really good. And then you see that double-decker espresso chocolate cheesecake, and you're like, that commands my attention. It commands my desire. And now, even though all those other things were okay, this I have to have. Amen? It's kind of like, that's, that's kind of like, that's food love. It commands my desire. It 
draws out my attention. Um, the Olympics, these sports that command these people's dedication, it commands their time, it commands their effort, it commands their self-sacrifice and their self-discipline. They, ha- they have to get up early to work on this. They have to eat right to get better at this. They have to work on these skills to try to win this. They're in love because they're commanded by this thing. They're gripped by it. It's got their desire. It's got their hope. It's got their dreams. It's got, they love it. Um, when you're in relationship and you love somebody... They, they command you. Your children command your attention. They command your affection. Uh, they sometimes command your frustration because you want more from them. You're jealous for more from them in a, in, a, in a marriage. You can't ignore what they're doing. If they're, if they're ignoring you, you're, you're frustrated because you can't ignore them. They command your desire. Or if they're responding really well, it's hard to ignore because they command your delight. They, 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 it brings out your attention. It brings out your desire. It brings out your passion. It brings out what you want. And uh, love is a competitive sport. You ever thought about that before? Love is a competitive sport. The human heart can usually find more love for something, but we can't love in two different directions at once. We can't love in two different directions at once. Love is a bit of a competitive sport. And so Jesus says this. This is probably one of the hardest sayings for Jesus, that Jesus ever says to anybody. Matthew ten thirty seven and following. He says, Whoever loves father and mother more, more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But just those commands of love. If your wife commands your love and passion more than I do, something's gone terribly wrong here. He uses this, this, this language of not being worthy, which is a big deal. You know, if your mom and your dad command your, your respect, command your obedience, you just like have to do what they want, even if it means sinning against me, something's gone terribly wrong here, and it's a love issue. It's a love issue first, says Jesus. And so there's something about love that, though, there, though we can often love more and more and more, we can't love in two different directions, and Jesus says, you, you have to love me, or this is all going wrong. So what do you do if you're like me and you find it really easy to love a lot of things that aren't Christ? Whether it's video games, Street Fighter 2, anybody? Come on, Street Fighter 2 Alpha, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, which I, I spent enough time on to have mastered the guitar if I had been inclined that way. But nobody throws more fireballs than I do with Ryu on Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Because I was in love with it. It commanded my time and my intention love myself, love food, love video games, love, uh, love a lot of things instead of Christ, what do you do? When you realize that your heart is not inclined towards the greatest thing that will ever happen to you, which is being in love with Christ. Well, what you do is you look to Christ. 
you look to Jesus because it's his mission to transform people's hearts. That's why he came. He came to bring us to the Father so that we'd have a love relationship with him. And one of the things I want to point out from his gospel, Jesus did so much in his life. He did so much through the gospel. But I don't want to just look at forgiveness, okay? Forgiveness comes to take away the guilt of us not loving Jesus like we should. Because if we are guilty before God, our relationship with God can't move forward. Amen? If you're locked up in jail, it's really hard to go to your family's FOSPA after church. Amen? So why do we need to be forgiven? Because we're in a place where nothing can get better yet. That's why we need to be forgiven for our sins. So Jesus dies for our sins so that the potential for change and transformation is possible. And then Jesus dies and goes into the grave and comes out with resurrection life, meaning that now things can happen that could never happen before. People die and they don't come back. Amen? You put them in the ground and that's done. The walking dead notwithstanding. I do not know why we are so transfixed with the undead nowadays. It's just weird. It's like a false gospel. People who come back from the dead are monsters. No. People who come back from the dead are the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're the best. So now anything's possible. And Jesus went back up to heaven to send the Holy Spirit to to us in order to transform us from the inside out. To give us a new birth. To make us new people on the inside out with new affections, new desires, new passions, and a brand new way of looking at God. And so if you want more love for God, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and everything he's done, and particularly ask the Holy Spirit to make you love God. When you're reading the book of Galatians in chapter 5, and Paul tells you the fruit of the Spirit, the first thing that the Holy Spirit brings, the first thing that he does, what is that first thing, church? Yeah. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And we read that and we think, oh good, that will help me love the annoying people at church better. Right? Amen? I know, I know, when I talk to you one-on-one, that's how you think about it. So let's just all together, we think, church is, church is crazy, and Rob says weird things, and I, but I'm supposed to love him. Please help me, Holy Spirit. But I would, I would rather us start with saying, the Holy Spirit came to make it so that we can love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we can grow in finding God awesome and glorious, that we can grow in being loyal and obedient to him, that we can love him with our strength, which means acting for him, that we can love him with our mind, which means loving the truth about him and loving the scripture. And when we read something in the Bible, we say, yay, instead of that sounds bigoted. You know, when people love the Bible and find fault with it, they really aren't loving God very well. Amen. So we can love him with our soul, where we can be like, I actually want to be with God. I want to take my will and use it to get more of God. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit does that. And we do it within this realm of forgiveness so that when we go, I haven't been loving Jesus very well, we're forgiven for it. We don't turn away in shame. We turn to God in hope. And we say, make me a different person because I actually believe that the best thing that could ever happen to me in life is not winning the lottery so that I can buy that stuff, but getting more in love with God. And out of my love for God, anything's possible. So let me end by bringing us to... See, I'm not going to say that, because I think I usually say let me in three or four times in a message, and and you guys just think I'm a bunch of liars. So in the sake of honesty, my best intention is to wrap things up after this story, but no promises. 
I want us to think about Jesus' story of the prodigal son. And it's one of the scripture's most famous stories. It's in the Gospel of Luke. And so many of us probably have heard it before. But if you haven't, it's the story of two sons and a rich dad. And the younger son thinks life would be better with money and without my dad. So he asks his dad for his portion of the inheritance. And he goes off to a far country to spend it in crazy living. Wine, women, and song, and whatever else he wants. And for many of us, that is the idea. What's the best thing that could happen to you? Getting the money now so that I can do what I want. Ouch. But eventually the money disappears and there's a famine in the land and the young man has nothing to do but feed pigs, which would be especially nauseating for a Jewish person for whom pigs are unclean animals. And now he is feeding an animal he can't eat, which is just terrible. And he comes to his senses, you might remember this, and he says, don't even the servants in my father's household have it better than I do. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father's household and I'll say, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm unworthy to be your son, but take me as a servant into your house. And he starts heading home and his father sees him a long way off and comes running to him. And the son begins the speech, father, I've sinned against you and heaven and earth. I haven't loved you, dad. And I don't know if I ever did. But let me be a servant in your house. And does the father say, okay. No, he says. Doesn't let him finish the speech. Shut up. He's kind of like the you had me at hello moment. Shut up. Um, Bring a new cloak. Put a ring on his finger. Slaughter the fatted calf. My son has returned. And I'm sharing this story because it has been my observation as a pastor, and I don't know everything, that many people settle for wanting to work for God instead of going all the way and and believing that God actually wants to be in a love relationship with them. And it's a sign of guilt. It's a sign of shame. When you come to God and there's a little bit of shame or a little bit of guilt in your heart, you think, I I know, I'll just just work. I'll, I'll join the host ministry or I'll serve in children's ministry and that will help me feel better in God's presence because we can't bring ourselves all to wait to just believing that what God really wants is to be in love with us and us to love him back. And he sent his son Jesus to die and to do everything so that we could come back to him as our loving father and us as his loving children and just start there with love and just start there with love and just let it be love and faith and love and joy and love and desire and love and peace. And so we substitute work. God, I know you could never love me again, but maybe through Jesus I could work for you and you could still let me go to heaven. It's not what God wants. It's not what God wants. So don't do what God doesn't want, church. Amen. Let's not try to give God what he doesn't want. He wants your heart full of love. And he's willing to put the love in there by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay, one personal story, and then I'll wrap it up. You know we're in this adoption process, and it's really impacted my life. So go go easy on me if I share a lot of stories here. But we're in this adoption process. Little boy in Bulgaria, he's got um, Down syndrome. And I noticed in my heart that I actually had like this joy of wanting to have um, a child with a disability. Because we didn't know how how much ability he was going to have. Some people we know go to there and they they adopt these kids and they bring them back and the kids have had like a seizure and half of their brain is dead and they won't do much besides just eat for the rest of their life unless God intervenes. 
And so when you don't, you don't have any expectation, the only thing you can do is just go, well, how about I just love the little guy? Like, I have no idea what, if he'll ever be able to walk, talk, work, love me back, anything. Just no idea. So I'm just going to set my heart on just loving this, this kid. And it had, I was experiencing this strange sense of peace. I was like, what is that? And then I realized by contrast that with my own children who are abled as much as Belfors can be abled, um, we depend on the Lord quite a bit. There was this sense of kind of like fear about how well they'll do. You know, well, will they be able to get a job? Will they make some money? Will they be able to get married? Will they follow the Lord? All these, all these kind of things like I want them to grow up and do this stuff. And so even in my in my interactions with them, there's this kind of underlying thing like uh, I need to do my bit as a dad so that they can grow up and be, be able. And, and there, so there was this contrast between like, I just, I just want to love this guy and just let it be about love and see where it goes. And my kids like, how are they going to do? And I felt like the Lord said to me, why don't you, you're actually supposed to do that for all of them. Just, this, this new thing you're, you're feeling, you're supposed to be doing that with all the kids. You're just supposed to love them first. And yes, they will need to get told they have a big booger hanging out of their nose every once in a while, and they need to clear that up. But, but you need to start with just love. Like you need to accept them and just say, I'm going to love you. I'm going to delight in you. I'm going to be loyal to you. I'm going to be loyal to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to want to be with you. I'm going to make time for you. That's what love does. I'm going to forgive you and walk with you. And, and let that be the biggest thing in the room. And trust God with a lot of the other stuff. Like, like I have to do with the, the new guy. Like, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to just have to trust God. He's actually really smart, it looks like. Probably almost too smart. He had me figure it out in like five minutes. Which is kind of scary. So... Um, but this is becoming more like more like God. Because what's God like? He's done everything so that it could be about love first. He's forgiven everything so that it can be about love first. He's given you a Lord who will answer your prayers so that it can be about love first. He's put the Spirit who will give you all the ability you ever need in you so that it can be about love first. And he's told us the biggest thing to me is that we're in love. That's the biggest thing. And when you know you haven't been there, you come to my son and he'll make it better and he'll, he'll bring you home. So church, this is, this is my desire for you that you would, you would agree with scripture that the most important thing in your life is that you're loving Jesus and loving the Father, that you're in a love relationship with him. And that out of that, you do everything you've got to do to maintain that love. We're human beings. We get tired. We get sick. We forget. We have great days. We have bad days. God knows that. But he also tells us, guard your heart. Because it's where everything flows out of. Stay in love with God. Guard your heart. Make sure you're going towards Jesus. Do what you've got to do to build up your fire of love with God. It's the most important thing. Father, we just thank you. Guys, let's just bow our heads before the Lord. Guys and gals. Father, I think together we want to agree that being in love with you, being in a love relationship with you is your greatest desire. And Father, you know sometimes we substitute work or we say we'll just hang back because we feel unlovely in your presence, unlovable in your presence. We maybe sometimes feel like failures. 
And so, Lord, we just surrender. I just want to surrender to the truth that the most important thing to you is that you love us. And the biggest thing you want is for us to love you back from the heart. And that you are able to refine our hearts to do that or to give us brand new hearts to do that. And so, Lord, for every single person here who just wants to love you more, not to earn anything from you, but because this is the best life. And this is the start of every great life. Lord, do the work now. God, we together, we want to lay down everything that we've been trying to give you before our hearts or instead of our hearts. God, if we've been giving us you excuses, forgive us. We give you our heart. God, if we've been giving you work as compensation because we feel guilty or ashamed, forgive us. We give you our hearts. We surrender. God, would you do a work and bring us to this this place more and more of having the best thing, which is the love of Christ. Amen.